Well, good evening. You guys can have a seat. It's great to see you all out tonight. Thank you, Emily and the team. And it's uh, great to see some uh, new faces with us tonight and returning faces. It's good to see Saturday night uh, fill up on this fall, fall evening. Well, grab your Bible and turn with me to Romans chapter 6. As tonight, in this study through God's Word, we've been going from the very beginning of the Bible to the end of the Bible this year, and we're almost home. And we've uh, looked at God's Word, and we've looked at so many great illustrations and stories that are familiar to us. And tonight, we look at one of the more debated subjects in religion. Now, I say religion because religion is different than relationship. Religion is man's organized application of a person's individual faith. And tonight, I want us to look at the relationship that we have with God that comes through our baptism. Now, the reason why, and, and my voice sometimes sets off phones that are speaking, so just try to ignore that. We'll get it under control here in just a second. Oh, you're doing fine, man. A good hammer to the phone will take care of it. <laughs> Jake will help you right there behind you if you need somebody to, to help kill that thing. But you know, people often choose religion over a personal faith. And we do that for good reason. It's because of where we were raised, the teaching and the experiences that we were exposed to, even traditions. And let's be frank, it boils down to our willingness or lack thereof to really dive into God's word and form our own belief, our own faith. And one of the most challenging steps that we can take as a people seeking God, as Christians, is to go to the Word of God personally and do what it says, even when it goes against what we were taught, told, or experienced previously in life. And so let me pretext our whole conversation tonight this way. The subject of baptism is very personal. It's at the foundation of our individual relationship with Jesus Christ. And so it's very important tonight, at least it is to me, it's very important tonight that we listen and understand that the goal tonight is to solidify in your heart and in your mind that you have aligned your life with the word of God in the most important area and aspect of your life, and that is your salvation. And so I want you to do what I did 25 years ago when I drew a line in the sand and I said, okay, I have been blessed with a great upbringing. I grew up in the church and I didn't stray too far from her. In fact, I could probably count on my hands and feet the number of times that I've been absent from a gathering in my entire life. But 25 years ago, when I began teaching God's word, I said, I can no longer, I can no longer just rest on what I've been told, on what I have experienced in my own life. I need to know God's word inside and out. And some of it has matched up and some of it hasn't. And so for you tonight, I hope it lines up 
But if it doesn't, I'm going to give you what you need to be able to help yourself, one, be confident in your relationship, but number two, make some adjustments so that you can come into alignment in your own understanding of God's word. And so here's where we're going to begin. We're going to begin in Romans chapter six, but I'm going to give you a lot of scripture, some of which is on your outline, some of which you're going to need to write down. And if we miss something, I want you to catch me afterwards and I'll give you the site so that you can go to it yourself. But Romans chapter six, verse four speaks of baptism this way. This is where we got to in our reading this week. We were therefore buried with him, Jesus, through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Now that was a huge chunk. And so let's pray and then let's break that down. Heavenly Father, we come to this section of your word today. We come with humble hearts. We come seeking understanding so that we can apply your word to our everyday being. Now when it comes to the subject of baptism, we are passionate because it goes to the heart of our faith and our personal relationship with you. And we want to know you fully. We require the cleansing of our soul by the blood of Jesus Christ for salvation. And so may we open our hearts and our mind to your word and may our response be in alignment with what you require of us. For we know that you have our very best in mind. Thank you for your desire to see us whole and with you eternal. It's in the name of Jesus who made the way for us that that can be. It's in his name that we pray, amen. Now, as we look at the biblical teaching of baptism, there's a whole lot that we could unpack in the next few minutes. Now, I, I believe that throughout this week, as you go to your life groups, your small groups, your connect groups, that you are gonna continue this discussion. And so I'm going to give you plenty of scripture tonight to be able to do that. But I want to ask those of you who are life group leaders, those of you who are part of a life group family in someone's home or here at the church, I want you to do me an important favor. And that is be respectful. Be respectful of the individuals in your group who want to share their story of salvation. Because I guarantee, just as there are any number of eye colors or hair colors in this room, or perhaps, I should say, shirts on our back, right? We all have had different experiences. 
And we need to remember that that's what they are. They are our experiences. And our goal isn't to base my experience on your experience or for you to have an experience just like mine. Our goal is to make sure that our experiences fall into alignment with God's word. And there are a variety of experiences that have been had. So listen well. Seek to understand. And then help guide each other to make sure that our understanding of those experiences fall within some of God's word that we're gonna look at tonight. So let's start at the beginning. The Bible teaches us, the Bible's teaching on baptism begins with this reality. You and I and all mankind have a what type of problem? We have a sin problem. You say, well, I'm a good person. I'm sure you are. I'm sure you are, but there isn't one of us, no matter how young you are in this room, you're old enough to talk and to think on your own. You have been touched by sin, a, a desire that welled up within you that, that wasn't appropriate. Your heart began to race, but you went ahead with that word, with that look, with that decision, that action anyway, and that is Sin. The Bible says all of us have sinned and all of us have fallen short of what's necessary to have a relationship with God. Now remember, God's our creator. It's not you and me who determine what the relationship is. It's the one who created us who defines how the relationship between him and man is going to work. And he says that in order for us to have a relationship with him, we have to deal with this sin problem. Now, this problem began all the way back in Genesis chapter 2, where we started this year in the Garden of Eden. You remember in the Garden of Eden when God placed those two trees in the center of the garden? And we talked just a month ago about man choosing, instead of choosing the tree of life, from which he could have eaten and lived forever in a sinless environment. What did he choose? He chose the tree of the wisdom of the world. A choice that we continue to make. It's not just Adam and Eve's fault. It's on us as well because every one of us have chosen at time to follow the wisdom of the world instead of continuing to eat from God's word. And so when they did that, sin entered the scene and continues to infect every human being. But from that very moment, God set into action his plan, his plan to redeem us. Remember how it began? It began with God taking an innocent animal who had had no part in that sin and shedding its blood so that he could cover man's nakedness and shame. The remainder of the Old Testament points to reality that God's final solution for the sin problem was the coming Messiah, our Savior, Jesus Christ. And the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John tell us this. They tell us that Jesus Christ, the innocent, blemish-free Son of God, sinless Son of God, came in the form of man. He took on humanity. He was born of a virgin. He lived a sin-free life and ultimately went to the cross and died a substitutionary death, meaning 
Instead of you and I dying in our sin, because that's what sin leads to is death, he took our sin for us. He took death for us. And the power of those sins were left in the grave, but he was not. He rose on the third day, proving his power over sin and death. And so here's the first truth when it comes to our baptism. Through baptism, you and I identify with Christ's death, burial, and resurrection from the dead. Now, how does that happen? It's through our baptism, and this is an important point that you're going to hear repeated throughout tonight's message. And maybe you've already arrived at this in your understanding. I've got to tell you, it has given me a fresh perspective this week in thinking of it this way. It's through our baptism that we see physically what God is doing spiritually within us. In baptism... We die to our sinful old life. We bury those sins in the water, and we rise from that watery grave to a life with Christ. And so even, even though in this life on earth will one day come to an end, we will live eternal with him in heaven. Verse 8 of our text in Romans 6 reads, Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. That's significant. And that's true for the believer. It's why if you've been at a funeral that I've conducted for a believer, you hear me say things like, when that final moment comes for us on this earth, our last breath is taken here and our next breath is taken in heaven. It's instantaneous. When we've died in our baptism, just as Christ died on the cross and was placed in that grave, he will no longer die after resurrecting, and you and I will live eternal in the same way. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. That for all is for you and me. But the life he lives, he lives to God. But it's not just a new life at death but a new life from our baptism forward. You see, the transformation begins immediately. Verse 4 says, Just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life, a life no longer held captive by sin. I want you to think about what that means, a life no longer held captive by sin. Romans 8, 1 reads, there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus our Lord. No longer held captive. It means that we no longer have to look back over our shoulder, remembering, reliving the thing that we once were, the person that we once were, thinking that at any moment that that can reclaim us. Scripture says that no one can snatch us from his hand. Not even the most painful deed of our past. We can forgive ourselves because Christ forgave us. 
When we stand before God as he judges the living and the dead, which every one of us wants to die and wants to stand before God in judgment, when we stand before God as he judges the living and the dead, Christ stands before us and pleads our case. We can live confident. We can live in the assurance that no matter what, we have a future that is secure and free of the pain of sin. That's what it means to live a life no longer held captive by sin. Through baptism, we identify with Christ's death, burial, and resurrection from the dead. We are freed from sin's bondage, and we live a new life both here and now and eternal. But it's here that religion at times gets in the way. And so let's talk about that for just a minute. Entire denominations want to get in the weeds and say, well, the thief on the cross. Remember the thief? There were two thieves, one on each side of Christ, who were actually being crucified for their own law-breaking and one of them poked fun at Jesus. The other looked over at Jesus and acknowledged him for who he is, the savior of the world. And what did Jesus say to him? Some of you know it by heart because you've pinned your salvation on that. And he said, today you will be with me where? You'll be with me in paradise. So he was not baptized. He did not die to his sin. He was not buried with his sin, he did not rise to walk in the newness of life. So why do I have to be baptized? Ephesians 2.5 says that isn't it by grace that we are saved, not by works that anyone should boast? Romans chapter 10 says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But when we stop there, we ignore the plethora of Scripture that are God's very words through Jesus Christ, who spoke in the power of that same authority. John 14, 15, if you love me, you will obey what I command. And what was his command to all of us? Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Mark 16, 16, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. John 3, 5, Jesus said, I tell you the truth. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless he's born of water and the spirit. This is the word of God. So what does that mean when it comes to salvation and baptism? Here's what it means. It means that we don't separate the physical from the spiritual. It means that the two aren't to be separated. After Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, baptism immediately followed a person's proclaimed belief in Jesus Christ. Baptism isn't seen as something to be delayed or put off or ignored or separated from coming to salvation. The two are joined together. Repent and be baptized. Repent means what? Turn to God. 
believe in Christ. Remember when this was spoken, the people said, what should we do? Now that they had an understanding of who Jesus Christ was, that he is the savior of the world. And Peter said, the response is this, turn to him, be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive something. You'll receive the Holy Spirit. And what's the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is our seal. Without him, there is no salvation. Their response was immediate in verse 41. Those who accepted his message were baptized. Other examples that you can look at in the New Testament, the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts chapter 8, Saul of Tarsus, the apostle Paul in Acts twenty-two sixteen, 16, the jailer, in Acts 16.32. So here's the question. Here's the question that I want you to answer between you and God tonight, and that is, am I willing to make Scripture the standard for my decision about baptism in my personal relationship with Him? That's all I'm asking. Are you willing to make Scripture the standard? Not what you were told, not how you were raised, But what scripture tells you? In 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 21, we're given further clarification. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also, not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a good conscience towards God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. Baptism. Baptism is our expression. Baptism is our pledge of a good conscience, of obedience and faith toward God. Baptism is our expression of obedience and faith toward God. Now, right here, again, I want us to have clarity that it is not the water that saves us. But I also want you to know that baptism isn't just an act of obedience to be done when and if you and I choose. You cannot separate the physical from the spiritual. The act of baptism isn't what saves us, though. It's not the water. Remember, he says right here, it's the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead that saves us. But baptism is our response, and it's immediate. Baptism is our response to faith in Christ. It's our pledge, not our work, but our response to God a pledge of good conscience, a pledge of our obedience to faith in God's plan for our salvation, that we believe in Christ, that we die with Christ, that we're buried with Christ, that we rise with Christ to walk in new life, both now and eternal. So if it isn't the water that saves us, why does the issue of how we are baptized come up in so many churches? Well, again, we see the difference 
between basing our relationship with God on religion or on God's word. All of the accounts of baptism, beginning with Jesus' own baptism in Matthew 3.16, describe an immersion, a complete submersion into water. The word itself that is used, baptismum, what is it, baptismum, and then baptizo is the verb, version in Greek, is translated to immerse, to immerse, to completely submerge into water. Now we acknowledge at the beginning of our time together that the subject of our baptism is the center of our faith. And for some this weekend, this teaching right here contradicts the tradition that we grew up in. Lutheran, Baptist, some Methodist. Some of you, your parents did a great thing by taking you before the church when you were an infant and saying, we want to dedicate our son or daughter to grow up in the church so that they can know the Lord, so that they can choose the Lord. The error occurs the error brought about by religion, not God's word, but by religion, the organization of a group of individuals' beliefs, is that a sprinkling, a placement of water on the head of an infant is their baptism. But there is no evidence of that in Scripture. There's no decision on behalf, or there is no decision in the heart of an infant or a young, young child to turn, to repent, and to be baptized. Again, I point you to the word of God and suggest to you that the question should be, what form of baptism best aligns with God's word? And isn't that the baptism that we should want? Nothing less because there's only one person we want to be in alignment with, not the church, not with me, not with our parents or our grandparents or some tradition. But this is a matter of life and death eternal. We want to be in alignment with God and his word, the one who saves us by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Now, for those of you who are over 50, you remember the name Paul Harvey. Uh, so, some, some of us still may hear some recordings if you listen to talk radio throughout the day. I'm a talk radio person. I get tired of hearing the same thing over again, and it's pledge drive right now on Christian radio. Man, aren't you glad we don't do fun drives that way here, right? We're almost there, and then I'll preach for 10 minutes. Okay, we're almost there. If I can get three gifts of $90,000, we'll be there. Oh, well, we thought we were there, but we're not quite there. But Paul Harvey, a famous radio host, he wrote several years ago in a Christian magazine called Guidepost Magazine about his own baptism. And I want to share this with you because I think that there are many who can connect with his experience. But I remind you, this is his experience, and each of us have had our own. He said that even though he had received almost every reward for broadcasting ability, and he did, he was the man for broadcasting, it says that he felt empty inside. How many, how many of us 
How many of us have had great success, but yet there's just something missing in our life? He said one summer he and his wife were in Arizona. Sunday morning came and they found a church to attend. He said it was a small church. There were about 12 people in attendance. He was the only one that wasn't related in the crowd. And he said that weekend, that old preacher got up and he said, this weekend we're going to talk about the subject of baptism. Paul Harvey said, I yawned, <laughs> right? Who wants to listen to that? He said, as that old preacher began, he said, he talked about the symbolism behind it and how it symbolized a, a complete surrender, a death, burial, and a resurrection of one's life to Jesus Christ and how there was nothing really magic in the water but that there was a cleansing inside that took place when you yielded yourself to Jesus. He said, finally, the preacher came to the end of his message and he, and he said, if you would like to receive this baptism, I, I invite you to come and, and to meet me right here. Paul Harvey said, to my surprise, I found myself going forward. The preacher had said there was nothing magic in the water yet, as I descended into the depths and rose again, I knew something life-changing had happened, a cleansing inside out. No longer did there seem to be two uncertain, contradictory Paul Harveys, just one immensely happy one. I felt the fulfilling surge of the Holy Spirit in my life. The change this simple act made in my life is so immense as to be indescribable. Since totally yielding to him in baptism, my heart can't stop singing. Also, perhaps because baptism is such a public act and because one's dignity gets as drenched as one's body, I discovered a new unself-consciousness in talking about my beliefs. Another man by the name of the Apostle Paul wrote, about his dramatic conversion. He said, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. In our baptism, we don't separate the physical from the spiritual, and God doesn't either. When Olivia was young, like real young, we had a dog named Ginger. Now, Ginger came with me before Sarah and I were even married. And Ginger passed away after a long and happy life. And so me and Olivia, we took her out to the back corner of the field we buried her in a shallow grave, and I put her house on top of her just to mark the spot. And after several years, Olivia got older, and Olivia came to me with that great theological question that every child asks its parent at some point, and that is, is Ginger in heaven? And I had always said, no way, right? Especially cats don't go to heaven. <laughs> but Sarah... Sarah, being the good mother that she is, had convinced her that she was in heaven. And so here she, here she was. She had this differing of, of where, where Ginger's at. Is she in the ground? Is she in heaven? And so I did what only a good dad would do. I grabbed the shovel. 
and me and, the, and me and Olivia, we went out to the corner of that field and listen, thank goodness for loose soil because when we dug her up, she was gone. And as we stood over that shallow, empty grave, we said, praise God, Ginger's in heaven, right? <laughs> now, I share that story because those of you who had dozed off, you're with me now. <laughs> and you are wondering, how in the world are you going to connect that? Well, I have no idea. <laughs> but I will tell you this that when we die with Christ through our belief and are buried with him in baptism, we are not who we once were spiritually, and we are also not who we once were physically. The transformation, you can call it inside out, outside in, but the transformation is both spiritual and it is physical. We will never be the same. A marked spiritual and physical transformation that occurs. And so we now live our life not by our own will and power, but by faith in the one who now lives within us. It was the whole reason for Romans chapter 6. It was to address the question, if you look back at verse 1 and 2, it was to address this whole question of should we continue living the life we once lived before Christ physically and spiritually? What shall we say then? Should we go on sinning? If this spiritual transformation has occurred within us in surrendering our life to Jesus Christ, does that mean that there's no change physically? Absolutely not. And this is why. Because you buried that soul. You buried that past. And it is in the bottom of that ocean. As far as the east is from the west, the scripture says, so far has he cast our sins from us. Just as Jesus Christ took all of our sins in a very spiritual way, and he took those to the cross, and in a very physical way demonstrated to us what he did with those sins when he left them in the grave. And he rose, proving the physical and the spiritual transformation. Romans 6, 1, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so the grace may increase? By no means, because we died to sin, so how can we live in it any longer? And so I ask you, do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God? Do you? Because if you do, then you should do what he commands. Come and receive him as Savior and Lord of your life. But you come through baptism and you die to the way you once were. A sinner without hope. Have you received him as Savior and Lord of your life? Then live like it. Don't live like the way you once lived, but live transformed by his spirit that lives inside of you. It should be evident 
The spiritual transformation should be evident in your relationships, in your giving, in your service to others, in your attitude, in your language, in your desire to dive deep into his word and to align your life not with religion, not with tradition, but with the one who made you and who prescribes the life that we are to live physically and spiritually. And we let God continue that transformation. Just like he transformed Ginger that day out in the grave. The transformation that began when you died to your old way of life and rose with Christ in the newness of life. Let's stand and let's pray. Well, Father, tonight, in these 20, 25 minutes, we have certainly looked at a lot of Scripture, and we have poked the bear in some of our hearts as we are challenged with whether we're going to go home and say, well, that's what a denominational Christian church preaches, but we weren't raised that way. Or we're going to go home and we're going to dive into your word and we're going to let your word speak. Because it's your word and Jesus Christ who brings us to salvation. It's by the precious blood and grace of Jesus Christ that we have any hope of eternal life with you. God, throughout your word, you showed us when you performed those great miracles, miracles that we wish that we could see happen in our lives today. People freed from disease. People who were impeded by physical ailments to see those removed. But Father, in every one of those occurrences, that was only a sign of the spiritual, the more important transformation that was occurring inside. We can't see the forgiveness of sins. But we can sure see a person's sight removed. Father, in the same way, when we come to you and we say, we want to respond to your invitation for salvation, you have given us the physical so that we can be assured all the way down to the very detail that through the physical, we can see what you're doing inside of us in the spiritual. And I thank you for that. Because I no longer have to worry. I no longer have to doubt. I no longer have to work so hard to prove to myself. Because I am in complete alignment with your word. And you have never gone back on your word. You've kept every promise. So my prayer tonight is for those who have not received that promise. For those who have not been buried yet. For those that have certainly not risen to new life. Father, that they would know that confidence of the salvation of their soul by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And so it's in his name that I not only pray this prayer, but I make this plea to these people. That if they have not received you and your spirit, that they would come today and receive you. And Father, for those who have that we would muster up the courage to live like it, that others could see 
and they too could be saved. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, I'm here to receive you. I'm here to help you take your next step. We're about to witness at least one baptism tonight. And perhaps you need to do the same thing. There's time if you'll come. I'll meet you right here.